Welcome into a very special edition of the Bluest Tape, uh, alongside Jeff Colas. I'm Harvey Couch, and uh, we had originally planned for this week to be uh, the the celebration of the 15th anniversary of the end of the Spring 1997 tour, but uh, we're going to push that episode out a week, and uh, we're going to spend uh, this episode um, sort of honoring the legacy and uh, the influence of uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton, who uh, who we lost on this earth um, after the the Hampton seventy concert on uh, Monday, May first. Um, we're going to play some uh, some songs from his uh, his guest appearances uh, with Widespread Panic. We've also got a very special uh, interview uh, that we'll be uh, be having as well. So, um, Jeff, any any thoughts on? On the Colonel, I think how you just introduced this show was was pretty appropriate. He said, "On this Earth, um, people people like the Colonel, I think, exist on some sort of astral plane that uh, the rest mm-hmm. of us can't possibly hope to inhabit." Um, I think he's somebody that, while I may I'm not as familiar with his his own music as much as I am with his contributions to Panic and and sort of uh, what what he's done sitting in with the band over the years. I've always really appreciated him and his contributions and just how much of what Panic is, but also other bands like Fish and obviously Aquarium Rescue Unit. Um, and in some instances, you could say the Almond Brothers for the last, you know, 17 or so years or the from 2000 to 2014 when, when Derek and uh, Jimmy were in the band. Um like his influence is everywhere and he's sort of mm-hmm. one of those, uh, I won't say he's the last, but he's one of the last connections to that sort of really great era of not just Southern music of the late sixties, early seventies, but sort of Southern music plus avant-garde. And he was sort of the, to- mm-hmm. the, the torchbearer there. And, you know, it's always sad to me when you lose people who had a strong connection or a strong relationship with guys like Dwayne Allman. And, and I, so I think that's, that, that, that honestly, one of the first things that struck me was that he's one of the last connection, living connections to, to him. And obviously with brother Greg, not in good health either. That's another one too. So I think just helping the the last few days have been really just sort of me kind of putting, putting it into perspective. And obviously the great tributes um, that have come out from guys in panic, but Chris Robinson and Carl Denson and Derek and Derek trucks and Susan Tedeschi have really, have really struck me. I mean, it's just, it's, it's always too bad when, when people, um, you know, the thing is you never find out what people really think about you until you're gone. Um, but the nice thing about the show that they did on Monday night was that, yeah. that was the thing that he knew how everybody right. felt about him. So I think if, if, if you're, you know, if you're ever going to go out, go out like that it's 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 it was you know it's as sad as it is the 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 solace is that he went out on stage with people that love him and people that he loved and that's it's it's, that's a wonderful thing again no no matter how sad it might be there was a great quote from jb in the wall street journal i'm just gonna read it um there was an incredible feeling in the building that it was a family reunion as much as a concert everyone rose to the occasion including bruce who was playing and singing as well as I've ever seen him. He was in command until the last second, and it was glorious to see. I believe he went from fully present in this world to fully present in another world with very little in the middle. 
<laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool, I thought. It is cool. And again, I think just how that show ended, you know, he passing of the torch to that to the 14-year-old kid, you know, the Taz and mm-hmm. like again, yeah. it's just it's it's again, it's sad and my heart is heavy, but it's it's a beautiful thing when you when 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 things happen like that. So All right. So um I think the first thing we want to do is uh is play um a clip from uh, from it was really the very one of the first scenes of, of the Earth will swallow you the the documentary um, that the Hanson brothers did on widespread panic back in uh, in two thousand two thousand one and um, and it was Colonel Bruce in New Orleans outside uh, Commander's Palace <laughs> sitting on a front stoop uh, talking about panic and um, uh, we'll just roll that now. They just seem to be the most genuine people, and nothing has really changed since I met them in 85. A friend of mine had a record they had just done, it was called Space Ranger, I believe the name of it was, and I delivered it to them at a girls' college called Agnes Scott. And there were six or seven people in there, and the band was playing full intention like there were 30 or 40,000 people, and I went, man, I'm glad to see this. I haven't seen the spirit or intention of a band like this, and 10 or 12 years and uh, it was really uplifting because the 80s were horrible music and no no one had the correct spirit or the correct intention just simple 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 if the girls come in and sing the lyrics the band's gonna last and if the band grooves and plays the heartbeat it's gonna last That was Colonel Bruce Hampton in, uh, in the fall of 2000, talking about uh, really the, his first experience with Widespread Panic, first meeting them. Um, he talked about a concert at Agnes Scott Girls College uh, in 1988. I pulled up the, the set list, and I don't want to run through it all, but it is, you know, like most shows in 1988, you know, it was pretty impressive on paper. So 9-16-88 uh, was uh, the time that that show that that the colonel was was referencing um but yeah jeff you had some thoughts about his uh his thought of how how they play yeah i mean it's just i love the use of the word intention and i mean if there's you know you draw again when when somebody passes you try to um put it in context but you also you know again you just start applying things to your own life and again moving with intention acting with intention but you know when you do that in your job you do that in your life at home but when you think about it in terms of music you very rarely hear those things put together and i think it's a really great Mm -hmm. i mean it's an incredible compliment um yeah to to i think i read or or heard at some point in the last few days uh that that he always told the people that were playing you know there are no wrong notes as long as you played them with intention that's right that's yeah. right. So. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, he's, he, you, we're going to, you know, show, play the clip from Sling Blade at the end, but there's this, uh, I've, uh, he's, he just, just seemed like a wise individual to me. <laughs> that, that was yeah. sort of the sage. But again, I think that's just how JB and some of the, some of the contemporaries felt that he was too. You know, he always was somebody that, um, you know, I think Harvey, you told me about the the quote that Derek Trucks had about how he, you know, 
put the right put put a certain record in his hand at a certain time for a reason. Put a book in his put a book in his hand at a, at a certain time for a certain reason. Um, yeah, it was there was a great interview that Derek did with uh, Mark Marin on the WTF podcast. Uh, I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes, uh, and that's where he he talks about uh, about Bruce's influence. Uh, you know, when he was a young boy uh, playing guitar. Um, and I just thought that was so cool. It's like, I'm bringing you along, I'm, but I'm bringing you along slowly. I'm bringing you along deliberately, but I'm also bringing you along with intention, you know? <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. right. uh, they're not just going to say, yeah, you should listen to Sun Ra. Here, just take this. It's like, no, you can't do Sun Ra before you do this. <laughs> um, exactly. Because it's, and so anyway, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's all, again, it's one of those things that's, it's bittersweet, but it's sort of, you know, I've, I've learned I've learned a lot about the man in the last day or so, but it it and and just how far-reaching his impact was, and it's 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 been, again, it's too bad that he's gone, but it's it's clear that he had a pretty substantial impact on a lot of people's lives. Well, let's uh let, let's get to the music. We've got uh, tonight. We have what five different selections uh, spanning um, almost eleven years, and. Uh, Jeff, you wanna you wanna lay out our first passage here? Sure. So we're gonna do we'll play our first three selections um, for tonight, and we'll go. We're gonna start in 1990, right at the end of the year. Panic did a four night run at the Cotton Club in Atlanta, um, December 28th through December 31st, 1990. And on the next to last night of their run, they uh, had Colonel Bruce sit in on their encore, and we'll be playing the. Start start our show with the last song that Colonel Bruce played, which is Turn On Your Love Light, the old Bobby Bland song. And um, we'll start there. And then we're going to jump forward a couple years to the the Horde tour of 1992. And Harvey, you've, you, you've chosen a, a pretty cool selection from, from, from that tour. Yeah, I always thought those, uh, those ARU... Uh, panic full band transitions were really cool. They did them about a half dozen times in that '92 uh, horde tour. The 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 one from Atlanta uh, on eight seven is one that's you know maybe a little more famous. Uh, but this is from just a couple nights later um, at the Meriwether Post Pavilion. Uh, it's going to be uh, peace and happiness and uh, space is the place. Um, from ARU, and then that's during spaces. The places that they hand off uh, to Panic, and Panic finishes off that jam and goes into Better Off. So that was a pretty cool section. And after that, we head into um, New Year's '96, and I'm just I'm just setting you up, Harvey, because you were actually there. I wasn't, so <laughs> I was there. Yeah, that was a um, that was a transcendent run. Those three nights uh, in '96. Uh, at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, I think we'll probably revisit those again uh, further along. Not uh, spend another podcast maybe on that run, but that that second night uh, really I thought was the highlight. I mean, they were great not great shows all around, but uh, the encore um, when they do sort of the piano jam uh, with Doctor Dan and Chuck Lavelle, and then they jam into uh, into Schoolgirl and. Uh, in a lot of ways, that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of connective tissue with Colonel Bruce, uh, with uh, Captain Butu and uh, and the Colonel and Chuck Lavelle uh, and those guys out there uh, playing into Schoolgirl. So that was a that was a special encore. So we'll get started with those with those three selections and then we'll uh, we'll come back with um, a special interview. So enjoy. 
So we just heard three selections of Widespread Panic with the late uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton starting December 30th, 1990 at the Cotton Club in Atlanta, Georgia with Turn On Your Love Light. And then we traveled up the road to uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland, uh, August 9th, 1992, part of the Horde Tour um, and the ARU Widespread Panic Jam, uh, which was... 
peace and happiness into space is space is the place into better off. And then we concluded that segment with a just a really fantastic encore from the Fox Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, December 30th, 1996. Um, the Fab Fox Fest Jam into Good Morning Little Schoolgirl. And Harvey, you, I will throw it to you to introduce our special guest for this week. Yeah, we, uh, we, I got a chance to sit down with um, the producer and director of The Earth Will Swallow You and uh, Wadsworth Panic Live at Oak Mountain and Scrapple and lots of other things. Uh, uh, but more than anything, uh, I, you know, I think a pretty good personal friend of uh, Colonel Bruce, and that's uh, Jeff Hansen. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Um, Want to get a sense for your emotions upon hearing the news, but first, you know, talk a little bit about how you got to know Bruce. I got to know Bruce when we shot The Earth Will Swallow You in 2000, and I met him at Oak Mountain on August 13th, 2000, when he came to play uh, with Widespread Panic. And we were fortunate enough uh, that evening, uh, we had asked uh, the guys in the band uh, for the opportunity to shoot a segment of them picking the set list. And we had that request went in at the very beginning of the summer. I mean, we gave them a bunch of requests of things that we wanted to do. We asked them what they wanted us to do for, you know, we told them that we wanted to shoot them, you know, collaborating with their, you know, their contemporary musicians and who should we reach out to. And they gave us a list. And of course, Colonel Bruce was on that list. So um, it was in all, it was at that show that Colonel Bruce, you know, finally li- linked up with them and, you know, they had put off letting my brother, Chris and I into the dressing room to watch them or record them picking the set list the entire summer. And that was the last show of the tour. And so they finally said, all right, I guess we got to uh, do I it. I guess tonight. now's the time. <laughs> I guess we better do it tonight or we're not going to do it. And, and, and we were lucky enough that. While we were there, and walked Colonel Bruce Hampton and Reverend Jeff Mosier, and we were just fortunate enough to be flies on the wall as these, you know, great friends um, caught up and and you know just told stories about you know what they've been doing since they last saw each other and laughing about other old stories. So it was a pretty special thing just to you know be able to witness that. And then when the band left. Uh, we stayed in the room with Bruce and interviewed him. And it was a very, very interesting conversation as any conversation with Bruce is. Mm-hmm. And it was so dark and it, it just, you know, it just didn't look very good at all. So we weren't really able to use it in the movie. And um, subsequently, we we then hooked up with him in New Orleans and and, and sort of you know, did the interview all over again. But at some point, we're hoping to um, take that sort of set break um, interview footage with Bruce and, and, and at least maybe even just put the transcript out because, you know, just listening to Colonel Bruce is always enlightening. I mean, sometimes it's nonsensical. Sometimes you have no idea what he's talking about. But, you know, that's okay too. You know, I mean, that, that's the thing. That's the thing about about Bruce that, you know, sometimes it's the most profound thing you've ever heard. And then sometimes it's, it's kind of gobbledygook. I mean, he would, he would, you know, start doing that. He'd start, um, it's almost like he had a tick. Sometimes he would just sort of start doing these kind of wild things. 
Um, but you know, so that's, that's how we met Bruce. I, I rewatched that, that set break thing tonight. And, uh, it struck me like seeing it really, I mean, the, the band seemed like genuinely, it was like how they greeted him was how you would greet like your uncle or your grandmother. You know what I mean? It was like big hugs and you know what I mean? It, it's that's yeah, like real, real that. affection, like genuine, yeah. like, and, and, you know, I wanted to watch that as well, but uh, I didn't, I didn't have an, I haven't seen it in a long time, but um, I remember the footage just from, you know, sh- shooting it and looking at it in the editing room. And I remember when he runs into Dave and Dave does that, does this kind of like <laughs> moment, you know, and um, yeah, they, I mean, they, they loved Bruce. I mean, Bruce was, you know, JB's got several times over the years where he's called, referred to him as my daddy. Um, sure. And um, I think he was very much the, you know, spiritual father um, of, of that band and a lot and a lot of bands. I mean, you know, I'm sure people are talking it about it all over the place. I mean, the Wall Street Journal just ran a really cool piece on Bruce that ran today. And um, I mean, were you surprised with the? I mean, I was a little bit like the the level of response, sort of nationally in the news media. I mean, I mean, it was big to us. You know what I mean? Like he's obviously a big figure in this scene, but um, just nationally, it was just I was I was kind of surprised at the uh, the amount of the volume. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, I, I mean, not unfortunately. I do think a lot of that is sensationalist sensation the way the way it happened yes i think if Mm -hmm. i think if bruce sadly would have had the same fate at a club in tuscaloosa with 45 people there i'm not sure you know that that he'd be being written about this way that being said it's just part of what you know happened that is kind of which we can talk about in a second i mean you know what happened is is it's amazing it's i'm not saying it's amazingly great it but it is amazing what happened? It's it's literally like unbelievable. You couldn't, you literally couldn't go to like a movie theater, a movie studio, and say, "Here's a story about this crazy guy, and this is how he's going to die." And they'd be like, "No, you can't end it that way. That's ridiculous." Well, and 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 even further, I don't think they would believe the character Bruce in the first place. <laughs> right. I don't even think you'd get that far. They'd be like, "This this, this character is is, is is pure fantasy. There's no way that this person could actually inhabit, uh, you know, a human shell." But um, you know, I, I think I wrote up a piece about it, and, and I feel like um, I said on a cellular level, I think Bruce may have planned this, that this was a, was, was, a, was a, a proper exit for Colonel Bruce Hampton. I think on a, you know, on a mental level, he never would have wanted to have put his friends through the agony and the anxiety and the horror of what happened. So, you know, mm-hmm. Bruce consciously would never have wanted it to go this way. But he was such a profound person that I just have this. And, and at some level, some force was saying, you know what, this is this is the the moment, the, the moment. And, and 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 because, you know, it happened that way, he is getting all the attention that he never got during his lifetime. Mm-hmm. He, you know, and, and maybe and, you know, while it's sad and it but people are right writing about him in the wall street journal and he's getting the attention um that you know that it's it's great to see him getting 
it, it, it as so often as the case, it happens posthumously with so many people. But people will start, I can tell you this, that Zambi clip that I referenced um, earlier has 354 views. Hmm. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think people are going to start to dig into, you know, who this guy was. He's, he's going to be, become, I think, there's going to be a cult of Bruce that's going to start to pop up. That'll, that'll be interesting to watch, I think. Because he's, his philosophy is profound, and I, have, I wrote about this, and he talks about it in my movie. And, and, and in talking about Zambi, Jeff Mosier's comment about it, and, and basically frightened is that, that in his interpretation, Zambi refers to a style of music that is judged based upon its intent. Right. It's intention. That, that's the word that keeps, you know, it just keeps percolating in, in the things that you read and the things you see and the, the things you hear about Bruce is just playing with intention and, you know, living with intention. Exactly. And, and, and it's like there are, I mean, there's, I think he said at some point, there are no wrong notes as long as you play them with intention. And uh, that seems to have made an impact on a lot of the people that he touched in his life. If there is a religion, and that is, it's, I mean, it's, it's at the core of Zambi. I mean, that, if that is something that, that people can take away from Bruce in a wonderful way because it extends way beyond music. It's every thought, every action that you have to have pure intention. That's an amazing, that is a profound philosophy that everybody in the world can benefit from. <laughs> And and but yet when but yet when you when you when you switch the lens over to music, it's also a really cool way to um, to look at you know at, at music that the you know why are you yeah, someone told me you know we were all hearing things from different you know all over you know the the blogosphere whatever wherever it's coming mm-hmm. from all and there's so many cool things that you hear and someone said that they talked to Bruce and and he said. He asked him for some advice in his band. He said, the minute you think your band's good, quit. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like like these 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 messages of Bruce's are incredibly powerful, incredibly positive messages that people can take into their lives, whether they're musicians or not. Well, and he talked about that in, in the bit in uh, the, the beginning of The Earth of Swallow. You're talking about panic and that those guys are, you know, at that at that moment, we're still so humble, you know, despite their success and that um, that enabled them to sort of have the success that they had. Well, you know, but, with, but, with but the people they were as 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 people who watch a lot of live music. OK, and I, I have I have viewed music this way ever since I interviewed Bruce on October, whatever, 19th, 2001, whatever the date was. It was in October. And uh, they had just played Stop Breaking Down the night before for the first time, by the way. I remember that. Um, and, um, and it was the same. So that, that was October 27th, 2000. Yeah. 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 Um, so um, in any event, um, ever since I, I did that interview, that, that, that idea of they were playing in front of nine people, but they mm-hmm. were playing as if they were playing in front of thousands. Now, we all see a lot of live music, and I have judged every band since then on that very basis that I've worked. I work with a lot of bands, and sometimes I remember I was 
was working with this one musician. He was like, oh, the crowd wasn't really that into it tonight so i you know i just I, I couldn't really you know put a good performance out there and i you know i just think of bruce like man you know um that's just not the that's not the game the game is if there's six people out there then you you play as hard as you can for them so that those six people will you know, tell all of their friends or, I mean, actually not so that, I mean, that will be a byproduct of it, but you do it because you play with intention and you play, it doesn't matter how many people are out there. You play as hard as you can, you play as well as you can. And I've been, I, you know, it's, it's every single band that I ever see. I, I'm watching them under with, you know, through that, um, perspective that I got from Bruce. Any band that ever says, oh, you know, there's only 12 people out there, you know, we kind of we kind of phoned it in. Then they're then they're posers. You know, they're mm-hmm. <laughs> they are not they are not. I mean, every I guess every band maybe has the you know excuse to do it once in a while. But like that should never be a reason to not play with um, with full intention. Well, uh, you know, the. The band that that always played with full intention was the Aquarium Rescue Unit, right? And back in the early '90s. So just to get to the music a little bit, um, what, what struck me about the, the the guys in that band and what they have um, accomplished the rest of their careers, you know, with with O'Teal and Jimmy and um, and Jeff Sipe and those guys. I mean, that was like. It was like the it was a minor league team that had like all the all stars, you know what I mean, or the college team that had all the guys that ended up being all stars, um, and I mean that's the result of Bruce, right? I mean it's right. It's and not those just are the guys, the, right? They became all stars. They were minor right. leaguers when Bruce had them, but he, right. he he you know he kind of put them through the system, and they became you know major league all stars and have played in some of the biggest bands, um, and you know certainly you know in the jam band world they are the biggest bands but even in the world i mean they're you know stadiums and and everything and you know i love watching o'teal play the today you know yeah right with dead and company the joy Mm -hmm. the joy that you get from the vibe from o'teal you know is is profound and i feel like you know bruce has a has definitely a hand in that. And if, if you saw, or, you know, I wrote about the, the interview that Derek Trucks did with Mark Marin, the, um, the, right. in the podcast, the word that, that Derek Trucks used was, was that a lot of musicians came through him. That's powerful. They're coming. Yeah. They didn't just play with him. Right. <laughs> they came through Bruce. Like, uh-huh. you know, he said they broke, Colonel would break them into a thousand pieces and they would reform as evolved humans. <laughs> you know, this is, and that's the, the, the thing that I wanted to touch on about Bruce when I just wrote about him in his passing was not so much, you know, I did touch on the fact that, you know, I was told that he hit the roulette number four times in a row and he could hit pretty, you know, call everybody's birthdays. And he, there were, there are, th- those things are, are, are true. They're certainly legend. Right. <laughs> and, but, but, but I know people said he called my birthday, you know, he, you know, he got my that seems to be a pretty consistent story, right? Yeah. I mean, lots of people. But and that's one part of Bruce. But the part that I find to be the most powerful is the way he changed the consciousness of all these people, even more than 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 or as much as the music. 
I mean, obviously it's, it's all about the music and the world that, but, but I, I think through the consciousness shift that he was able to bring about in these folks, it, it changed the music profoundly in a way that made it more genuine, honest, and pure. And again, that's, mm-hmm. you know, pure purity is, is what the Colonel was all about, which is why he doesn't like much uh, popular music. I mean, he said in our interview that he, the music of the eighties was horrible. And then I saw this mm-hmm. interview <laughs> recently that I watched uh, since his passing where he said, the music today is horrible. You know, he, <laughs> he hadn't really changed uh, very much, but what, what he's not, what he never saw in that music was that purity. It was all so contrived and so, um, you know, produced by people who were just looking for a hit, performed by people who just wanted to be stars. All of the things that are very unZambi-like, the mm-hmm. opposite of Zambi. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep. I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, one thing you touched on in your in your, um, you know, uh, the article that you wrote was um, the the love that you guys shared of baseball. Uh, and that's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a massive baseball fan. So can you share a story or yeah, a, a sentiment? Yeah, I, I will share a story that I think anybody who loves baseball will appreciate because um, Bruce, um, w- this was something that I was able to share with Bruce. It was a book called The Universal Baseball Association, Henry J. Waugh, pro- proprietor proprietor yeah absolutely yeah i i sent that you know bruce i i was talking to him once and i'm like well you you you're familiar with the this book right and i figured he would have known it because it was late 60s and robert coover wrote it and um i think it's robert coover but anyway he had never read it and i um i sent it to him and he just he just was so grateful he said wow you know it's such a colonel bruce book Oh, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> totally. book is Colonel Bruce. I mean, in fact, you know, I had the rights to that that book for a little bit, um, wanted to make a movie of it, and um, he was the guy I wanted to play. Oh, yeah, right. He would have been perfect, but I never could have gotten it made with him, so we agreed that he would be the the, the coat, the manager. He was right. be the manager, and I had, you know, this idea of Bruce and his, like, baseball pants, you know? <laughs> And those, and those like baseball, you know, shorts, you know, right. uh, we always got a, you know, a kick out of that. And he just, he loved, you know, he loved, and Mikey loved baseball and, and the guys in the guys in panic all like baseball, but Mikey really loved baseball. And it was something that, that he and I connected on as well. But, um, you know, we just, we got a kick out of like the weirdest, craziest baseball statistics and would text and, you know, call and, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know how many, you know, if you ever called Bruce, he would, uh, he would say, you know, he'd say, he'd answer the phone and he'd say, this is when I, back when I lived in Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge. <laughs> he just he knew every, he knew every, he knew every uh, and then you Mr. Hanson. And then he would be fun. He would say, I'll call you back in four minutes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, he was, uh, you know, miss hearing that voice but the you know the cool thing is these days you can go to youtube and and i watched an interview with them it was a very good interview actually um i posted it i can't quite remember um but it was uh, it was at bruce's house and the guy was a really good really intelligent interviewer and bruce really seemed to like him and um maybe you can 
pointed out. <laughs> for, yeah, no, absolutely. We'll, we'll yeah, include it in the show that notes. Is, but um, <laughs> it, it was just fun to sit on the back porch and listen to the colonel because, like, the way he, the way he spoke and the way he laughed are things that I'll miss them, you know, being able to hear, but, you know, fortunately it's out there. Um, mm-hmm. we can watch stuff like that. And, you know, even in like the earth will swallow you for some folks, but the one thing I would want to say uh, before, you know, we wrap this up is that, um, at the very end, the very last thing that he did is he summoned a young player and said, step on out and play. And that was a 14 year old kid um, Taz is what they call him. And it was, it was like the next generation. It was like the equivalent of Colonel Bruce's grand kids. It's like his grand first grandchild. And he probably, he would have had many, many more grandchildren if he lived. But I mean, he touched he, the last thing he did was, was, was pull that kid out and say, play. And right. I thought that was incredibly powerful and awesome. And so what a, you know, so many ways, what an incredible exit, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, but yet awful too, in the sense, mostly for the people who were there. I just feel bad for all the, 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 what it must've been like when they stopped playing, it must've been a really, really uh, terrible situation. So I feel other, you know, other than that, I feel it was probably a pretty good way, uh, way to go. Well, and I don't know if you saw, um, Jeff Mosier's video that he posted, you know, I think I'm sure that the moment, you know, the, the first moments were just shock and fear and, and all that. But I would have to imagine pretty soon after that was, you know, you get to where Jeff was, which is, you know, just grateful, you know, and the, the, the for that night, that just was amazing night. And uh, for, for that, just that sort of closure of the of this you know of his existence on this plane you know and then whatever's next right yeah i mean jb in the in the wall street journal article said he went from being very present fully fully present in this world fully present in this world to fully present in another with very little in the middle Right. <laughs> Which is pretty classic JB. Yeah, and yeah. um yeah, I mean I, I that sort of was my own experience was I, I woke up and I read that and I, you know, I started crying. I just I'm mm-hmm. I'm I love the colonel and I felt terrible. And then by the end of the day I felt, wow, like this is pretty right pretty amazing way to go for him. I mean, if you think of the alternative for Bruce, like what would the next, you know, 10 years have been like, you know, maybe it was not quite as uh, good as the way it, it happened. So I, yeah. I, I do feel, um, you know, blessed for that. And of course, you know, I wrote this one thing I did write about, like the thing that I'll think about the most about Colonel Bruce is I'll never, I was in Baton Rouge and I was really in a tough, tough, just a bad state of mind. And I went and saw him and we went and had breakfast and then we went out and um, just sat on, in, a, in a parking lot and and I just started sharing, you know, some stuff with him. And I was saying, I'm really struggling, Bruce. I'm having – and he just – what he said to me was, um, um, you, you have to make friends with your demons. Otherwise, they'll destroy you. And, you know, mm-hmm. for some reason that was sort of like just – hit me it just sort of was like okay maybe you should stop running you know maybe you should maybe that's not the you know maybe you need to treat what's 
disturbing you differently. And it really, I mean, and, and mm. that was the thing for me that, that, that made me so grateful for, to Bruce and why, you know, consider him a dear friend, even though I, you know, I rarely saw him and <laughs> I hadn't seen him in a long time, but, you know, we did, you know, this baseball stuff, but that, that experience right there was kind of like the one that, um, you know, he, he, he was a powerful power. He was a sh- he was a shaman, you know. Is mm-hmm. the way I would look at it. I think I kind of have always thought that JB has kind of got some shaman like qualities, <laughs> but I think yeah. Colonel is fully, you know, was a full on shaman. Well, I think that's a perfect way to uh, to finish it, Jeff. Um, certainly appreciate your time. I hope that uh, maybe we can do this again with, on better uh, terms. We can talk about uh, happier moments. Yeah. Uh, although there were plenty of happy moments that we talked about tonight. Yeah. Thank you very much, Harvey. I appreciate it, buddy.
All right, that was Widespread Panic with Colonel Bruce Hampton. Uh, first selection was from Oak Mountain Amphitheater. I'm sure, I played a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, stuff from Oak Mountain um, so far. Yeah, I gotten some love from Oak Mountain recently. Um, uh, August thirteenth, two thousand. Happy Child into Fixing to Die with uh, the late Colonel Bruce Hampton and his longtime sidekick, the Reverend Jeff Mosier. Followed by a selection from the Halloween run of 2001 at UNL Lakefront Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana, August 27th, 2001, with another song that Widespread Panic has played with Colonel Bruce a whole bunch of times, but has played on their own quite a few times, too, and that would be Time is Free. And the last uh, piece we have for tonight is, is a clip from... The first time I ever actually, I had, of course, listened to Aquarium Rescue, but the first time I actually saw Colonel Bruce on a screen and talking <laughs> was in it was in the movie Sling Blade. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And it was with three of my favorite people, Colonel Bruce Hampton, and then two of my favorite musicians, Dwight Yoakam and Vic Chestnut, and uh, talking about talking about their band in that movie and sort of the, the in, inspiration that they find. So we, we thought it would be a fitting tribute to play a, a clip from uh, this great movie that has been, uh, been around for a long time, but it still is very influential and, and, and still, still a great watch to this day. We don't ever play any songs that y'all wrote. I ain't heard one of them. Y'all just talk. We don't even play any songs with words at all that I remember. We ain't got no microphone. We ain't got no speaker set up. We wrote one last night outside the Mini Mart. Um, Morris called it, Stuart drives a comfortable car. And then, like in country songs, you know, in parentheses, it says, there's usually someone in the trunk. And and um, I came up with a tune just to humming. So you don't want to question your genius, Vaughn. Morris here, he's a modern day poet. Kind of like in the olden times. Yeah, I gotta. New tune and some compositions entitled The Thrill. Goes something like this. I stand on the hill, not for a thrill, but for a breath of a fresh kill. And never mind the man who contemplates doing away with license plates. He stands alone anyhow, baking the cookies of discontent by the heat of the laundromat fit. Leaving his soul. Then, like in poetry, I go dot, dot, dot. You know, kind of off center. Then I drop down. And then I go, leaving his soul. Part in the waters of the medulla oblongata of mankind. That damn good song, wasn't it, You like that song? All right. I don't think that's right. I believe the dot, dot, dot come between medulla and oblongata. Well, it did. The dots are where I say they are. Melody and tune, that's your trade term. You're a tunesmith. I don't understand the meaning of the words. If y'all don't shut up, I'm going to go out of my mind. Besides, Carl here is liable to bust a spring. He's already off balance. So that was... Uh... A segment from the uh, Academy Award winning film by Billy Bob Thornton from 1996, Sling Blade. Uh, you heard um, Colonel Bruce Hampton. Uh, you heard uh, Vic Chestnut and um, Dwight Yoakam. 
as Doyle Hargraves. Um, I love this. I mean, this, I love the movie Sling Blade, and part of it is because I love the scene more than anything. Yes, I mean, I a- love absolutely. <laughs> I love the Colonel. I mean, it, I I wonder if I mean, do you think it was part of the script, or do you think they were just like ah, just you know say we'll just do <laughs> do Colonel things uh, because it seems like so you know off the top of his head kind of uh, and you also if you watch the the clip like the actual movie like a good part of it. It's like a wide shot of the whole room of all the guys sitting in there, uh, and Colonel is is sitting in the chair, and I swear he's staring right at the camera. Everybody else <laughs> is, you know, in movie set, you know, looking at each other, looking at him, but he's like speaking to the audience, like completely breaking the fourth wall, uh, and uh, just great talking about you know medulla oblongata, and and then Vic coming in saying you know he thinks that there was a dot 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 between medulla and oblongata, just you know two just amazingly talented people just you know riffing off of each other. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's sort of when I think about that movie, um, it's that scene that I come back to every time. So when it's on when it's on when it's on TV, it's sort of I always hope I hit it at that point. You know, because yeah. I'm old, I'm I'm still old school Harvey. I don't I don't believe in all that Netflix stuff. So <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, I thought that was a good way to uh, to wrap up uh, this this episode on on Colonel Bruce Hampton. So um, appreciate Jeff Hansen taking time out of his busy schedule to uh, to give us some insight, uh, his perspective, and um, and yeah, and thanks to uh, to the Colonel for all the years and all the all the music and all the uh, amazingly talented musicians that he has influenced. I mean, you wonder, um, would the bands that we love be the same today if it wasn't for him? I, I think probably the clear answer is no. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I was trying to think of something smart to say, but the way, the, the, the way I look at it is this is a guy who was in the Hampton Grease Band, which by his own admission <laughs> put together one of the worst selling albums ever on a major mm-hmm. label on Columbia Records. And, you know, and when the record came out, I can see why it was why it was rejected. You know, forty some years later, you can listen to it on YouTube or you if you collect vinyl, you can find it a lot of places. But um there's a lot going on in that record and it's really enjoyable. But that's a guy who a lot of lesser people and lesser with lesser commitment to their craft, to music, but also to their fellow musicians would have just packed it in and gave up after that. And to him, it, that is, it, he sort of where, I think it, it almost seems like he sort of wears that with sort of a badge of honor, you know, wore that with a badge of honor. Um, but that's somebody who was resilient and, you know, some 40 some years later, was more influential than 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 he was back then, and and that's just a testament to him. It's a testament to his talent, and uh, like you just said, testament to influence of all the bands that we love, including Widespread Panic. Well, um, we appreciate everybody uh, joining us on this on this journey um, down memory lane. Um, I had you know we've had on our list our notes uh, of show ideas to do. Uh, you know, guest, you know, guest appearance specific episodes. And I, and I mean, this was certainly a show that we were going to do, uh, sometime, uh, you know, pretty soon. In fact, it was one of probably my first three or four that I would have, uh, would have done maybe even the very first one because of his, you know, influence. Um, certainly wasn't expecting to be sort of, uh, forced to do it, 
uh, but um, but happy that we were you know sort of ready to and um, and uh, yeah, just you know, much love to to the colonel and and we appreciate all his uh, his spending of time in in our uh, in our plane for uh, for seventy years. So uh, so next week we'll be back and uh, we will uh, we'll you know get back onto our regular track with uh, some selections from uh, from widespread panic. So uh, bluestape.com, follow us on Facebook uh, and uh, Twitter, and we will uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.